right, well, good morning. Uh, glad you're here. hope you're doing well. Um, do want to uh, mention the DIY again, the do-it-yourself is, is uh, obviously what that stands for. And wanted to mention it to you. Um, this is something that we're, we're starting. And some of you have seen that video um, two, maybe three times now. But I know for some of you that it's new. And, and what we're doing is we're giving you um, these little um, handouts that kind of gives a structure to uh, being able to take God's Word, the message we hear on Sunday, the scriptures we are talking about on Sunday, and use them during the week. The goal is that uh, you wouldn't just hear a message on Sunday, but that through the week you'd be internalizing not just the message, but the scriptures. And the heart of all this is that we would all begin to be able to, to um, hear God speak to us on our own that we would be able to listen and discern his voice as he speaks to us through his word, that it wouldn't just be coming in and going out and, um, you know, we hear a message, but then it's kind of gone. Let's spend some time with this. When you come in on Sunday morning, the only part um, that, that we would ask you to do is just take some notes, um, write down the scriptures we use, write down something that speaks to you, um, and that you can go back later and begin to think about more. Um, and so that it, it begins to be something that, um, we're, we're spending time on not just reading God's Word or hearing God's Word, but we're meditating on God's Word and allowing it to begin to transform how we think um, and, and renewing our mind as the Bible teaches us. And so it's really important. Throughout the week, it'll kind of guide you through um, processing the message, but also the Scriptures. And so really want to encourage you to, to do that. We're going to be using these in our connect groups. And, and so... Um, It'll be a time where everybody's preparing for a group where we can come together and share what God's been showing each of us during the week, um, not just one person preparing for everyone. And so um, looking forward to seeing how that goes and, and hearing how God speaks to people. Something I want to remind you of and, and make you aware of for some of you is that Thursday night at 8.30, there's going to be a prayer walk at Georgia Southern. And, and so I want to encourage you to go be a part of that. Uh, it takes place on Greek Row. If you go to Greek Row there on campus and go all the way to the end, um, that's where everything will be set up. And there'll be worship. We'll, we'll worship God together. Then there'll be um, um, a time of prayer that we all gather in and, and then a prayer walk around the campus, just praying for God to move there. Um, as, as we pray for the community um, at large, we want to include the campus, right, and, and all the folks there that God would speak to their hearts. And so I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. And um, let's go and, and pray together. And we know that prayer is effective and powerful. And let's pray for God to move in a, in a mighty way. Um, today, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. We've been in Galatians. The first week we looked at Galatians 2 and 3. Last week we looked at the end of Galatians 3 and the first part of 4. Um, today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Um, I want to read the first 11 verses. We're going to try to get through this chapter pretty quickly, but, but really looking at some very important things as we continue um, going through uh, the foundation. And some of, for some of you who haven't been here this summer, this is going to be a lot of new stuff. But going through this foundation of the church and looking at um, right now, we're looking at fullness, what it means to grow into fullness as one aspect of the foundation that Jesus' church is built on in him. And so let's read the first 11 verses or 12 verses, and then we'll pray. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now remember in this that 
the, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the churches in Galatia. He's been warning them about turning back to a, a, a rules-based or a works-based faith or righteousness. Um, he's trying to remind them that they received the Holy Spirit, that they were saved, not by what they did, but by believing God's promises and the truth about who Jesus is. And he's trying to get them to see, like, you were set free from, from trying to make yourself right with God. So he says it's, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So he says, stand firm. Stand firm from what? Not getting sucked back into a law-based righteousness or a works-based righteousness. He's saying, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, a slavery to the law, to trying to make ourselves right with God. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. That's kind of confusing. Like circumcision and now Christ is of no value, but we need to understand circumcision was one of the things that the Jewish people felt was essential if you were going to belong to God. It was sort of like baptism to us. Circumcision was a sign that you belong to God. Baptism is a sign we belong to God. But circumcision was that for them. He's saying basically this, if you go and you're circumcised so that you think that that somehow allows you to belong to God or makes you right with God, then understand Christ is of no value to you. Because basically what you're saying is Jesus isn't enough. Now that I'm circumcised, I've done something to make myself right with God. He said, listen, that's not how it works. It's by faith. Remember the first message we talked about as we started really breaking down fullness was that the conditions of our relationship with God are by faith in Jesus. He says, it'll be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So he's saying, look, if you're gonna make yourself right by the law and obeying the rules and, and by working your way to God and earning God's approval, he's saying, understand this, if you're gonna remove yourself from Christ and righteousness in Christ, if, you, if you're gonna say, I don't need Jesus and I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna begin to earn it, understand this, you aren't just going to have to earn it in one place. You're going to have to obey the whole thing. And he's saying, look, basically, you can't do that. So I'm warning you, don't go away from Jesus and grace, which grace is God doing for us, in us, and through us, what we cannot do ourselves. He's saying, why would you abandon grace and the power of Christ and the righteousness of Jesus to come over here and try to earn it yourself when you know you can't? He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, justify, be made right with God by the law, by obeying the rules, by obeying it and working your way to it. You've been alienated from Christ for you've fallen away from grace, God's ability to do for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do in our own ability. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He's saying, look, all the, the obeying the law and circumcision and all this other stuff. He's saying, listen, it doesn't count for anything. He's going to tell us later, if you just obey the one command that Jesus gave, if you'll walk in his grace and through the grace you receive, love others and love God. He's saying, listen, that kind of wraps it up. He's saying the only thing that counts is faith and that faith that we receive Christ through, it expresses itself through us in love. 
You are running a good race. Who could cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? In other words, who's come in and, and, and changed your mind? Who's, who's pulled you away? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why, I'm still, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying, look, I'm being persecuted. I'm certainly not telling you that you need to be circumcised. He's saying, if I was telling you you need to be circumcised, I wouldn't be persecuted anymore. And here's why. He says, in that case, if he's no longer preaching circumcision, he says the offense of the cross has been abolished. So he's saying, look, if, if I'm preaching circumcision and, and you have to obey the law and have faith in Jesus, he's saying the people wouldn't be persecuting me. They wouldn't come after me because I'd be preaching what they're saying. He's saying, this is not the true gospel. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I'm gonna let you wrestle with that verse this week as you do the DIY. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and your truth. I pray, God, that in the next 15 to 20 minutes, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Help us to see how important it is to walk in the freedom you've given us God, and, and to walk in the Spirit, God, to have the fruit of the Spirit so that we can live together in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, God, that all of those things would be manifest through your grace, through the Spirit of grace working through us so that you bind us together to have an experience, a fullness of experience in Jesus together and a fullness of expression of Jesus to the world. Lord, we love you and thank you. God, that you're here. God, you're here. You're speaking. God, I pray we would have ears to hear what you're saying. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to have a little bit of fun real quick. It's got to be real quick. I don't have a whole lot of time. Um, but who thinks that if we put this, this, the slides up that we've been going through, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the first six slides are the exact same every week. Some of our students are back. If you're a student, it's your first Sunday back. Hey, glad y'all are here. Um, you missed a lot. You might want to go back and check out some messages over the summer, but we're going to be recapping things as we go along. So just jump in. All of these messages do build on each other, but they also, there's plenty in them um, as they stand alone as well. So, but we are glad you're back and um, look forward to seeing God working in you as well. But, but we've been talking about this first. And so the first six slides we've been going through every week um, have been the same. Is there anyone here today who would like to come up and take us through the first six slides that we've been covering for the last few weeks? He, he said, I've been doing a good job. He said, just keep on doing it. Anybody? Anybody at all? Nobody? All right, I'll do it then. All right, so... Ephesians 2.22, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so we look at this verse, I've been telling you, and I believe this with all my heart, 
The Bible tells us this. As we follow Christ, as the Spirit works among us, he's building us together to be something. We are being built towards something. And, and it's exciting to know that we're being built towards something. What are we being built toward? We're becoming a temple in the Lord. Not the sheetrock, not the studs, not, not all of that stuff, right? But, but the people. The people are being built together to be a temple in the Lord where the Spirit resides. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we, the body, are temples of the Holy Spirit, even as we, the individuals, which is 1 Corinthians 6, are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we come together. We're being built together for something. We're being built together for a purpose. What's that purpose? To fill and renew the earth with people reconciled to God through Jesus. We've talked about this throughout the different scriptures. If this purpose is going to happen, and listen, these slides, every week these sli of these slides, they're, they're going to be on the website by the messages. If you go to the website and you go to um, the message section, these will be beside it. So if you don't get something written down, you can go there. Or you can just take a picture with your phone, and that'll be fine. You can look at it later. Um, but this is the purpose for all of it. If this purpose is going to happen, two goals have to happen. The church has to grow to maturity in Christ. The church moves from a pastoral or dependency model of ministry. And so, first of all, we've got to grow up in Christ. Um, the, the system, this pastoral or dependency model of ministry that we've seen in the church for so long, it, it has a tendency to almost keep people in a, a perpetual state of, of immaturity or infancy in the church. It's part of why we're doing the DIY thing is so that we're, we're, we're learning that we can have a relationship with God um, on our own, not, not absent from the church, but that we can relate to God um, without having someone else telling us everything, um, that, but that God can speak to us through his word. And so we grow up. The other one is to move from this system on the left, which basically everything is on the staff and kind of a few people are doing the ministry um, to the one on the right where people have been developed and equipped so that every part of the body does its work. This is the biblical model. We see it real clear in Ephesians chapter four. And so every person in here, if you are in Christ, you are a minister. A minister, we've got to take that word back from the system that we've always known it in. And we've got to realize that every one of us in here are ministers. We're, we're not people who are going to wear collars and you may not be called pastor, but God's called you to ministry in the world as a part of the body of Christ. As we look at this one, the one on the right is really how this happens is that God raises up leaders who leaders equip people, but leaders aren't just paid staff people. Leaders in the church may be teachers, construction workers, um, bankers, doctors, whatever it might be. But God raises people up to walk alongside others and equip them. The last slide we've been doing every week is this one. It shows the foundation. I want to be real clear. Jesus is not cracked, right? Jesus is whole, complete. He lacks nothing. Um, he is God. But sometimes our presentation and understanding of Jesus is, is lacking. And so we started out by looking at this fact that we have no clear call many times to follow Jesus. What does that mean? We continue in his presence. What does that look like? Um, what will it cost? And is it worth it? We answered, absolutely, it's worth it. The second one we're, we're looking at right now is no clear call to fullness in Jesus. And so we've been looking at what it means to be full. In the future, we'll look at no clear call to Jesus's people, the church, and also no clear call to Jesus's mission um, where he's called us to go into the world. And so um, that's where we've been over the summer is those, that first foundation crack of no clear call to follow Jesus. The second one, there's where we're at and looking at fullness. We've talked about some things with this and that 
We've got to have some paradigm shifts. We've got to have some ways of thinking to change. And in this, as we look at fullness, these are the areas that these things really need to begin to change is how I relate to God, how I relate to myself, and how I relate to others. Um, those also correspond to those foundation Christ. And so we've got to begin to think differently about this. The world around us, even much of our church experience, has distorted how we should think about these things. Beginning to shift... This is one, one of the things or three things that'll help us with this. The conditions of our relationship, if we can understand that. Our position in Christ, if we can understand that. And our perpetual dependency on God, we've got to understand that. And so I want you to see those three things. The first week as we've looked at this second foundation crack and fullness in Christ, we talked about the conditions of our relationship with God. The conditions are that we're made right with God by faith. That it's through Jesus that has made us right, not by what we do or what we can do. By faith, we have come into our position in Christ. And in Christ, we become children of God. In Christ, we've been adopted. It's a permanent thing. Um, we can't earn it, but we've been, been given this by faith in Jesus and through the power of what he's done. Today, very quickly, we're going to look at our perpetual dependency on God and really see that... Um, we don't, just because we come to a relationship with God and just because we um, find our position in Christ is, is complete and we're God's child and it's permanent because we've been adopted, it doesn't change the fact that we are perpetually dependent on God. It never goes away that we aren't dependent on God. Um, at this point, our salvation is there, but to live the life that God's called us to, to fulfill the purposes of God, our dependency never changes on him. And it's the same grace that we began in that we're gonna finish in. The same power of grace and by faith is how we continue. So Galatians chapter five, as we looked at this in the beginning, um, it shows us that it, or talks to us about freedom. And we kind of broke that down as we read through it. But I want you to understand a little bit about what freedom is. What is freedom now that we have become God's child, now that we are in Christ and we're right with him, um, adopted by him? Um, what does it mean now that we are free? Uh, because sometimes in our mind, freedom can, can mean something very different than what it means to be free in Christ. The first thing that I want you to see is that it's freedom from a guilty conscience. Freedom from a guilty conscience. And this is really important. It's only in Christ that our conscience is clean. It's only in Christ that we know our sins have been taken away. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not sometimes um, voices and, and things and, and the way we've learned to think that creeps in and doesn't put us under condemnation. It also doesn't mean this, that there's not conviction. But there, conviction and condemnation are two very different things. Freedom in Christ brings us to a place of freedom from a guilty conscience, but it doesn't remove us from conviction. Conviction, its goal, listen, God, when he convicts us through his spirit and his truth, he convicts us, the goal is to lead us to repentance, to have a second thought that corrects the first one, to turn from the incorrect way to the correct way in God. And so when conviction comes, the goal is to lead us to this place of repentance, which leads us to turning back to God, which ultimately leads us to life. Condemnation's goal, though, is to lead us to isolation. 
Anytime we are walking in condemnation, you cannot walk in grace and condemnation at the same time. Anytime we're walking in condemnation, its effect is typically to isolate us from God and to isolate us from others. And we know that we are not called to live in that place, especially as God's adopted children, right? But it leads us to isolation, which ultimately leads us to death, okay? An isolated Christian is not the glorious picture of God that he desires to paint through his church. Think about it, it's kind of a gross example. But if I lopped off my finger, threw it on the floor, nobody would walk by and go, man, that is beautiful, right? No, they go, that is gross. And what happens? It dies. It's the same thing with the body of Christ. People who think, well, I don't need the church to to love Jesus. Well, you don't need the church to love Jesus, but you need the church to live and experience the fullness of Jesus. The problem is, and the reason that statement is made is because in so many ways, the church has lost its purpose and identity. And so they've had a bad taste of an institution, not a real taste in the organism of the body of Christ. And so we need to realize the first thing we're freed from is a guilty conscience. The second thing that we're freed from is performance-based living. This goes back to the conditions of the relationship, right? That by faith, we're made right, not by our works. So I don't have to perform for God anymore. I don't have to work for his approval. I work from his approval. I don't have to work for his love. I work from his love. I'm motivated not to try to um, earn salvation. I'm motivated because now salvation has been given through Christ. So it changes my whole motivation. I'm compelled by love, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. I'm not driven by this fearful expectation of judgment or, or condemnation anymore to try to make myself right. I'm freed from this performance-based living. If we can grab hold of that, guys, it'll change our lives. The third thing, freedom to continue in his presence. I'm free to live in his presence. I'm free to follow. You remember we talked about that, that following Jesus is continuing in his presence. How do I follow Jesus? Well, if he goes that way, that's where I go. I continue in his presence. I'm free now. He has invited us and made a way for us to come to God so I can live in his presence. Now I'm free to continue in his presence. Why? Because my my conscience is cleansed. I've been made right. He convicts and corrects, but I know it's done in love. It's done um, so that we become the fullness of who he's created us to be. I don't have to perform for him anymore. I can come to him as I am and trust that he'll do what he wants to do in my life. The last one is freedom to fulfill our purpose. See, freedom in Christ is not freedom to do what I wanna do. Freedom in Christ is freedom. Now I have the ability to do what I was created to do. Remember last week we talked about being in Christ. Jesus brought us back to where we ultimately belong. And so that's freedom in Christ. Most of what we see today is is really not freedom in Christ. Most of what we see today is much more like we talked about last week where in the church we typically see people who live more like they're living under a harsh, um, condemning disciplinarian than they are living in the love and power and and, um, the grace of God. And it shows. It's why most Christians look like they sucked on a lemon at church, right? And so we can see that. So how do I 
walk in the Spirit. Because listen to this. I want to read a few verses to you, beginning in 13, and listen to the context of which this is stated. He says, you, my brothers and sisters. So this is plural. This is not like saying you, like he's picking out one person. And he's saying you. He's saying you, my brothers and sisters, all of you in the church. He says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So what's he talking about? The context of what we're reading is about the body, okay? It's not just written to individuals. I want you to see that. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying, look, if you want to really obey the law, then just love the people around you. Then you can't sin against them. He's saying, just do that. But you can't do it apart from grace because you don't have that kind of love. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. In other words, he's saying, look, the way you guys are living, you're you're chomping at each other. The way I picture this, and I see this in the church today, the big C church today, it's a picture of viciousness. I mean, we think about like, who do we think about biting and devouring things? We think about like lions or bears or something, like just tearing it apart. But he's saying, look, this is how you guys are living. You're biting and devouring each other. You're talking about wanting to fulfill the law, then fulfill the law by loving one another. He says, so listen, so I say, what's he mean by that? So I say, so I say, because you're doing these things, because this is what's happening, I'm telling you how it's gonna be fixed. You're not going to fix it, but if you'll begin to walk in the Spirit, then it'll be corrected. So he's saying basically, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't live in selfishness. You won't live in greed. You won't live in envy. You won't live in jealousy. You won't have little stupid spats over things that don't really matter. Why? Because you'll see how big the love of God is. You'll experience the love of God and you'll be compelled towards the purposes of God as you experience and walk with him. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. He's saying the law has no no um, bearing on the person in Christ as far as um, your righteousness and your relationship with God. He's saying, but if you walk in the spirit, you'll fulfill the law because God's love's poured out into your heart. You can love God with all your heart and you can love your neighbor the way he calls us to. He says, they're in conflict. If you live by the spirit, you're not under the law. And listen to this. He says the acts of the flesh, these momentary things that never fulfill you, these acts of the flesh, um, these acts of the sinful nature. He says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't have time to go into all of this, but understand that, again, this is written in the context of relationships within the church. All sin destroys relationship. All sin destroys relationship with God. It affects how you relate to yourself and it destroys relationship with those around you. There is no such sin as a sin that only affects you. He says, but 
He's told us to walk in the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such thing, there is no law. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. He's saying, you're dead to these things. You've been crucified. You live because Christ lives in you. He says, they crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I want you to notice that from chapter or verse 13 to verse 26, he bookends all of this, telling us that this is about relationships within the church. He's saying, look, you're biting and devouring each other. You're destroying each other. You're destroying the body. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, if you destroy the body, God will destroy you. He takes his body very seriously. And so what he's telling us is if we will begin to walk in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit produced in our lives. It's not, listen, many times we think about the fruit of the spirit and we kind of narrow it down to our own individual life. We think about the fruit of the spirit and we think like, okay, if I walk in the fruit of the spirit, I won't get aggravated in line at Walmart, right? If I walk in the fruit of the spirit, I won't be impatient at the red light. If I walk in the fruit of the spirit, I'll just walk around like giddy all the time because I'll have joy. But, but we limit it to that. I think that that's part of it, obviously. God works in us, so we'll live a godly life. But it's bigger than that. I believe this, in the context in which the fruit of the Spirit is talked about, he's talking about it with us together. What's the greatest purpose of the fruit of the Spirit? It's not so we can just be patient at Walmart. It's so that we can love each other the way God loves us. It's so we can be united together with one purpose. It's so I can love people that aren't like me. I can love people that are different than me. I can love people who are hard to love, not in my ability, but in God's ability. And so the fruit of the Spirit is necessary corporately so that we can fully experience God and Jesus together, but also so we can fully express Jesus to the world. First John tells us that we, if we love one another, we become a tangible expression of God to the world. We're going to skip that one, that one, and that one. Those are really good, but we're going to skip it. We're going to skip that one and that one. All right. We'll talk about this real quick. Jesus. We know this from Scripture. You can write these Scriptures down and go look at them. That when we look at Jesus, we see the person of Christ. And when we look at Jesus, we also see who the Father is. If we have any misconceptions because of our experience with earthly fathers or what we think about a father, the Bible tells us you can look at Jesus and see who the Father is. The Bible also tells us you can look at Jesus and because the Spirit is another one who is different than him, but just like him, we can look at, the, at Jesus and we can understand the Spirit. And so how do we walk in the Spirit? Because Paul said, if you just walk in the Spirit, spirit, these things will begin to happen. So how do we walk in the spirit? Well, if I look at Jesus and I understand who the spirit is, then that ought to kind of help me begin to wrap my mind a little bit around what it means to walk in the spirit. Let's think about it like this. To be a disciple, to be a Christian means I follow Jesus. If Jesus were here physically, how would I walk with Jesus? I'd walk beside him. I can wrap my mind around that, right? I walk beside him. Where he goes, I go. I'm listening. I'm, I'm talking. I'm all these things. 
Same thing with the Spirit. If I'm going to walk in the Spirit, then I'm walking with God. Both cases, I'm walking with God. But the Spirit is another just like Jesus. So here's the question. What would it be like if I lived with Jesus beside me other than awesome? What would it be like? I mean, you think that'd be pretty cool, like Jesus walking beside you all the time. And listen, not walking like this, ready to slap you upside the head if you did something wrong, but walking to guide you, to lead you. That would be amazing. Well, guess what? You got something even better. You got God inside you. One just like Jesus, if you're in Christ, he is in you. How many of you, listen, how many of you, if Jesus was walking beside you, you'd wanna spend time with him? Like nobody's gonna go, Pfft. Like even people that don't like believe Jesus is who he says he is. If Jesus was here and he was like healing people and doing all kinds of stuff, they'd be like, I wanna see this. Like you wouldn't just walk away from him. How about this? How many of you would listen to his voice when he spoke? Would that not be cool, Jesus? And we know when he would speak in the Bible, it said that people hung on his words because he taught his one who had authority. How many of you would wanna to listen to what Jesus said? Anybody? Like you can raise your hand, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day, 24 seven, he's speaking. Every day. And guess what? You've got the Holy Spirit, one just like Jesus, to lead you into all truth. Would you learn to recognize his voice? Would you listen to him so much you learn to recognize his voice? Yeah. I mean, Jesus even said the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The disciples might not have known his voice early on, but they learned his voice. You learn his voice. Why? Because I'd spend so much time and I want to hear what he said. I'd spend so much time listening to what he said that eventually when, when, when I'm praying, I, would, I could hear his voice. When I'm reading, I could hear his voice. Why? Because I've spent so much time with him. Would you want to do what he says? Absolutely. You can't think about him being there to condemn, but you need to hear his words spoken in love, in truth, in concern, in guidance. You need to hear his voice as a voice of power and confirmation in who you are in him and who you were created to be and, and allow that to um, propel you into the things of God. How many of you, if Jesus was beside you, you'd be more likely to take great steps of faith. Like if Jesus was like, hey, uh, I want you to go hit that rock. I'm gonna make some water come out of it. You'd be like, I don't really know what's gonna happen, but Jesus, you said so. Wow, right? You'd be more likely. Take great steps of faith. Well, God is in you. How many of you would be willing to be more bold? Jesus is beside you. I'm willing to be more bold. How many of you would begin to see things differently? Well, because you're hearing his voice, you're seeing him, you're watching, you're walking with him. Listen, the whole point of this is to say this, guys. You have that every day, every second of every day. Jesus is with you. The spirit of God is with you and in you. You can hear his voice. He can speak to you. How do I walk with him? I walk with the spirit just as I would walk with Jesus. I can talk to the spirit. I can, I, you might not wanna do it out loud, but I can talk to the spirit. I can have conversations. I can listen when I come to the word. I'm not just sitting down to read a book. I'm sitting down with God 
to read about God, to see who God is, to literally see the word who became flesh. And now it's spoken to me. The thing I want to encourage you guys with, if we're going to become a church that walks in the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to have to be a church that walks with the Spirit. There's no shortcut to it, guys. It's pursuing Him. It's walking with Him. It's spending time with Him, realizing I can hear His voice. He still speaks. Go through the book of Acts and look at how many times it says the Spirit said or the Spirit spoke. It's going to be somewhat of a learning, or it is going to be a learning process. I want to finish with this example, and then we'll pray and go. Um, one of my sons, I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want to embarrass him, but at football practice one day, um, they all three play football, so uh, you know, really can't tell unless I slip and say his name. Um, but he was at football practice, and one of the coaches expressed something that was going on in his life that he was struggling with, and just a difficult time. And when I picked him up that day, he told me, he said, and when the coach was sharing this, I felt like God spoke to me. I'm like, cool. Well, what did he say? He said, I felt like God told me to go to him after practice and pray with him. And I was like, that is awesome, man. That is so cool. And I said, so did you? He said, no. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right. And so we talked through kind of how he might could go back and do some of this stuff. And, but I told him, I said, you got to realize, buddy, I said, every single person who's ever sought to follow Jesus has had times when they were prompted and they didn't respond. I said, but the thing you've got to realize is as you begin to take those steps of faith and you follow the promptings and you listen to God's voice, you're gonna become more and more confident in responding to those promptings. You're gonna realize more and more the faithfulness of God. And here's the thing I can tell you, if we're gonna accomplish God's purposes on the earth, we've gotta realize our dependency on God. We got to realize our dependency on God, the Holy Spirit, and we got to be willing to step in faith, knowing that if Jesus was beside us, what it would be like, and realizing that the Spirit is here in us, with us, to do these same things. All right. I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for our time, and thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your blessing in our life, Lord, and, and the blessing of your your power, God, the blessing of your presence and the blessing of your purpose, God, in our lives, just that we can know you, Lord. God, I pray you'll continue to speak with us. God, let us stand on your promises that tell us you're with us, you're in us, Lord. Let us act boldly as your children. God, I pray we would long to hear your voice and we'd spend time in your word and in prayer. Lord, I pray we'd never forget our dependency on you, that we'd never forget the conditions of our relationship and that our position in Christ as your child is irrevocable, God. I thank you for that. Thank you for adopting us and making us your own. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey guys, appreciate you. Y'all have a good week. <laughs>